If you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 1. We'll begin in verse 67. Uh, let me say again what a blessing and privilege it is to be with you. Uh, thank you, Jim, and the session for the invitation. Kyle, for your kindness to me. It's wonderful to see Neil and Catherine and the children. Our hearts and prayers are very much with you as you undertake this new responsibility. Uh, I have a lot of friends in this congregation, and so it's, just, it's, good to, it's good to see you this morning, and it's good to be with you. Uh, you will probably know that in Luke chapter 1 and 2, there are several songs that focus on the coming of Jesus Christ into this world. And you may want to ponder, why all this singing? Why, why is, all, why is all, this, all this singing going on in Luke 1 and 2? I'll give you a hint. What happened after the children of Israel were redeemed from Egypt by the blood of the Lamb? They sang. Well, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, is being announced to have come into the world in Luke 1 and 2. What could we do but sing? Right? So bear that in mind. We're going to look at two songs from Luke 1 and 2, God willing, this morning and this evening. This one is Zechariah, the, the father of John the Baptist, uh, a godly man, a humble, faithful priest. And uh, this is the song that he is going to sing after his son's birth. Uh, you will remember that when the angel told Zechariah that he and his elderly wife Elizabeth were going to have a child, Zechariah wasn't convinced. <laughs> he didn't believe that he would be able to have a child at his age. And so he couldn't speak for the rest of his wife's pregnancy. And it's only when he writes down the name of his son, because he couldn't speak, they, they were about to name the boy some family name, and because uh, nobody in their family had been named John. And you remember he wrote down the name, and the minute he wrote down the name, in accordance with the Lord's word to him through the angel, his mouth was loosed. And the first thing he does is sing a song. And we're going to get to hear the song that he sang. So let's pray and ask for the Lord's help and blessing, and then we'll read God's holy word. Heavenly Father, we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. This is your word, so speak, Lord. Your servants listen. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the word of God. Hear it in Luke 167. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, 
to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Amen. And thus ends this reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. May he write its eternal truth upon all our hearts. I confess to you, I love Christmas. Uh, I love the songs we sing. I love being in the congregation. I love seeing the poinsettias around everywhere. Uh, I love the family gatherings that come with it. Uh, the food, yes, the presents too, but especially the singing. Uh, my, my mother was uh, the choir director at the church where I grew up. She played piano for uh, our church and for many other little churches uh, in the area uh, during her life. Uh, and because of that, I had no choice but to sing growing up. Uh, singing was not an option. And uh, and, of course, singing the songs of Christmas this time of year. It's, it's, if you ask me, what do you remember? I'm 63. I just turned 63. I'm not sure I remember many more than 50 Christmases, but what I do remember from my earliest days was the singing. I, I can remember singing in the congregation and singing at home. And, of course, the special music that often comes this time of year. Uh, May, my congregation in Jackson, maybe their favorite service of the year was the Christmas Eve service. And mostly that service was singing Christmas carols, reading the story of Christmas, and hearing a brief exposition of God's word about the coming of Jesus into the world. And all the, the whole congregation would be there from the youngest to the oldest. And uh, we'd be singing together, and you'd hear, the, you'd hear the sound of little babies filling the sanctuary as they squirmed and, and, uh, and wriggled and uh, sometimes cried or, uh, or, or made noises during the service. It was just a wonderful service. I, I remember well the songs of Christmas. That's right at the heart of my memory of this celebration. And this is a song of Christmas. Interestingly, it's, it's almost an Old Testament song looking on the imminent coming of Christ 
into the world. One commentator says this is the last song of the Old Testament and the first song of the New Testament. And, and you see what the commentator is saying. When Zechariah sings this song, Jesus has not yet been born. John, Zechariah and Elizabeth's son, is a few months older than Jesus. So Jesus hasn't yet come into the world. But Zechariah knows, because this song isn't just the welling up of a father's heart who's finally had a son. It is a prophecy. Remember, look how it starts. Look at verse 67. Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. So it's not just a, a father who's finally had a son... And his heart is overflowing to God with praise for giving him a son. As appropriate as that is, right? We praise God from whom all blessings flow. And what greater blessing could there be than children? What a great blessing. Children in this congregation this morning, you're a blessing of God to us. What a tremendous blessing. Totally appropriate to praise God for that. So you you couldn't blame Zechariah if most of the song were about his son. But guess what? It isn't. Most of the song is about the Messiah coming into the world, the salvation that he is going to accomplish, and the mercy and compassion of God. There's a little bit about John in it, but mostly it's about God and his Savior, his Son, who he's sending into the world for our salvation. And, you know, we we need to go back and look at those words. He was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. And remember 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. No prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. But men carried, uh, men spoke from God being carried along by the Holy Spirit. And that's what's happening with Zechariah here. This is prophecy. It is a song of overflowing thanksgiving to God who has given him a son. But more than that, it is a prophecy. It's the very word of God in which he speaks truth about God, about salvation, and about our Savior. And so I'd like you to see four things in this song that Zechariah focuses our attention on. You really could do a whole sermon series on this song, but let me focus on four things that he teaches us. First of all, notice how the song begins with thanksgiving, especially verses uh, 68 and 69. Thanksgiving. He thanks God for salvation. Then secondly, he focuses on the salvation itself, the deliverance itself. What, What is involved in this deliverance? Then third, finally he gets around to the ministry of his son. He makes a prophecy about the ministry of his son, John the Baptist. But then he closes with the attention all back on God. Because he wants us to meditate on the mercy of God. So I'd like us to look at this thanksgiving, this salvation, this ministry of John, and finally the mercy of God. Let's walk through this song of praise together. Look at verse 68. Here's what Zechariah prophesies under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited 
and redeemed his people. So he acknowledges that his son John's birth is part of the purpose of God in redeeming his people. John's life and ministry is a part of a much, much bigger picture. It's part of a much, much bigger event in the life of the people of God. His son's birth is part of a larger story. By the way, that's true of all of us. Our lives are part of a larger story. No matter how humble and obscure those lives may be, we are part of a great story, the story of God's redemption of his people. And Zechariah is acknowledging, oh Lord, I'm so thankful for this son, but I want to I acknowledge under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that my son's birth isn't the most important thing going on here. Now, by the way, how humble is that? You know, this, this is an elderly man. He and his wife had always wanted to have children. And they'd never been able to have children. By, by the way, a friend of mine recently said, whenever the Bible tells you that a woman is barren, she's going to have a baby. Isn't that, isn't, that, isn't that glorious? Isn't that glorious? And, and uh, you know, we're told about this wonderful godly couple, Elizabeth and, and Zechariah in Luke chapter 1. And sure enough, they don't have children and she's not able to have children. And you know right then, she's going to have a baby. And yet, this song is not all about John. It's all about God. It's all about his salvation. And he starts off thanking God that he has done what? Visited and redeemed his people. Now that language comes right out of the book of Exodus. You remember when the children of Israel cry out to God in Exodus chapter 2 under their burden? And the Lord hears them and remembers the promise that he made to Abraham. And then in chapter 4, the Lord, we are told, visits them. He is concerned them. The language of visiting is Old Testament language that God cares about his people. He's concerned for his people. Sometimes we feel like in troubles and trials in life that God has forgotten us. And you know, I wonder if godly Zechariah and Elizabeth didn't from time to time in their lives think, Lord, have you forgotten me? You know, Lord, Lord, Lord here I am. I'm in, I'm in the temple again. I'm gathered with God's people again. I'm worshiping you again. I'm serving you every day of my life. But have you forgotten me? And here's Zechariah saying, no, he didn't. No, he didn't. He's visited his people and he's redeemed them. And that language comes right out of Exodus as well. To redeem is to purchase out of bondage at a cost. But the cost isn't for you and me. We don't pay the cost. Who pays the cost? God pays the cost. He makes the purchase. And what's the price? His own son. So catch this irony. Zechariah is thanking God for giving him a son who is going to prepare the way of the for the Lord. God's only son to come into the world and pay a price and that price is going to be his death isn't that isn't that amazing 
God has graciously given Zechariah a son, and he's going to tell about God's son who comes to die. That's the price that your freedom required. That's the price that your forgiveness required, the death of God's own son, and God paid that price. You couldn't pay that price. And so God paid that price for you. And so no wonder Zechariah is thanking God. His son is going to get to herald, well, when in the Gospel of John, John sees Jesus coming, what does he say? Behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. Zechariah right here says, my son is going to get to say that about God's son. That he comes as the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. And Zechariah is thanking God. Lord, you hadn't forgotten me. You hadn't forgotten Elizabeth. You've given us a son. But more importantly, you haven't forgotten your people. You see, for over 500 years, God's people hadn't had a king. And for hundreds of years, they had been occupied by their enemies. They, and, and held in contempt by them. You know, with, with, with what's going on in Israel and the Middle East right now, when, when you read the words, look at, look, look at those words that we might be delivered from the hands of our enemies. Boy, those hit home, don't they? Well, that, that was the experience of the people of God in Zechariah's day. They were under the bondage of their enemies again. They'd been under the bondage of their enemies in Egypt. They'd been under the bondage of their enemies in Babylon. And here they were occupied by the Romans. And here's Zechariah saying, you hadn't forgotten us. You've come to visit us and redeem us. God's people love to thank him for the redemption. You know, it... Christmas can be filled with distraction, right? There's so much going on, it can distract you from what really matters. Well, here's right at the heart of what we remember at this season, is that God has not forgotten his people. And he has visited them and redeemed them. He sent in his, his son into the world to die on behalf of them. And so thanking him for that is at the very heart of the season. By the way, all the songs that we have sung and will sing today focus on that. Just what, the, in fact, I was, I was thinking after the first hymn, well, the sermon's done. If you just listen to O Come, O Come, uh, uh, or, or to Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, boom, you've got the sermon right there. So many of the songs we will sing this season will preach the gospel to you. So let the songs preach the gospel to you as you sing this season, whether you're in church or whether you're home with your family or out caroling in the neighborhood. Make sure you let those songs preach the gospel to you. But this, this song begins with thanksgiving for redemption, for salvation. Now, that naturally translates or transitions into the second thing I want us to look at. Let's just look at the nature of this salvation. 
the nature of the deliverance that Zechariah is thanking God for. And you can pick up in verse 69, he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemy and from the hand of all who hate us. To show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, that oath which he swore to our father Abraham. This salvation was promised from of old. You know, the, the, the first the first song you sang today was, Come Thou Long-Expected Jesus. He was not the unexpected Jesus. He was the long-expected Jesus because promises had been made. In fact, the coming of Jesus, Zechariah says, is the oldest promise in the Bible. It's the oldest promise in the Bible. And it's seen par excellence in promises that God made to Abraham and to David. By the way, how does the New Testament start? Very first sentence of the New Testament says, this is the book of the generations of, or this is the book of the genealogy of, Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So, Zechariah 2 connects Jesus to the promise that God has made to Abraham and to David. This salvation was promised by God long ago. Abraham lived in 2000 B.C. David lived about 1000 B.C. So this promise had been made millennia before Jesus came into the world. You know, sometimes in the midst of your troubles and trials... You do think God has forgotten about you. And, and, and this deliverance reminds us <clears throat> that God had planned Israel's deliverance before they ever needed it. God had planned for Israel's deliverance before they ever needed it. And God has planned for our salvation long before we existed. There's a wonderful saying in the black church. He may not come when you want him, but he's always on time. Isn't Isn't that a great saying? He may not come when you want him, but he's always on time. Well, here he is right on time, just like he promised 2,000, 1,000 years ago. This salvation was prophesied in the Old Testament. That's why I say this song really kind of looks at the birth of Christ from the standpoint of Old Testament promises being fulfilled in the coming of Jesus Christ. So the next thing that Zechariah points us to is this salvation is not a surprise. It may be surprising, but it's not a surprise. It was expected. It was prophesied. It was promised. It was planned long before God had planned to redeem his people. This is a deliverance that God had planned. By the way, Peter will emphasize that in Acts chapter 2 when he's preaching. That this man was delivered up by the predeterminate plan and foreknowledge of God. Jesus' death was not a surprise to God. It was the plan of God. 
Jesus coming into the world may have been a surprise to us, but it was not a surprise to God. It was part of his plan prophesied in the Old Testament. And so this salvation was the fulfillment of what God had promised to Abraham and to David. You know, God told David in 2 Samuel 7, you will always have a man on the throne forever. And then came 586 B.C. And the last king in the Davidic line, Zedekiah, had his children killed in front of his eyes and then his eyes put out and then he was taken back to Babylon in chains. And Israel all said, what happened, Lord? What, what, have your promises failed? And the answer to that is what Zechariah is saying and what Matthew said in Matthew 1.1. No, 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 no. The king, King David in the Davidic line, was a picture of the everlasting reign of Jesus, who will reign forever and ever as king of kings and lord of lords. And Zacharias is saying, he's coming into the world and my son is going to get to prepare the way. That's the salvation that he's talking about. And then he finally gets to his son's ministry. Look at verse 76. You, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. Pause. What a big deal. What a huge deal. There had not been a prophet in Israel since Malachi. There's nobody alive when Zechariah says this who remembers the last prophet in Israel. And here is Zechariah getting to say, my boy is going to be the prophet of the Most High. Israel is going to have a prophet again. And that prophet is going to point to the Messiah. Look at what he says. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Now this is, this is remarkable stuff. In those two verses... Zechariah and his, his little boy is hours old. And his father describes his whole ministry. What, what's John's message going to be? Repent. You need the forgiveness of sins. And prepare the way of the Lord. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Zechariah's already said it right here, and he's hours old. Now, and now, now take this in hand. Zechariah probably didn't live to see any of John's public ministry. He's already an old man. He's already an old man. And, and by the way, think about this. It's, it's entirely possible that neither John nor Jesus grew up with their daddy. Both of their daddies were older when they were born. You know, it's interesting in the Gospels, you hear about Mary all the way to the end, to Jesus' death. After the, the, the birth and infancy stories at the beginning of the Gospel, you don't hear about Joseph again. The assumption is Joseph died. He was older. So it's entirely possible that neither John nor Jesus grew up with their daddies alive. And by the way, God gave both of them really good earthly daddies. 
you know, Zechariah was a good man. And Joseph was a good man. The, the, the scriptures tell us that about both of those men. They were good men. And even though they didn't get to live and see their son's ministry, as far as we know, the imprint of their lives was made on their sons. And I, I, I just want to pause and encourage parents about that. The, the subtle influence of godly parents on their children may wait a long time for you to be able to see. But boy, was it seen in John. You know, I, I wish I could have taken Zechariah to see, son. That's the kind of man he grew up to be. Just like you prophesied he would be. He was just like you, Zechariah. He loved the Lord. He loved the Word. He, he, he proclaimed the Word of God to the people of God. He was brave. But that influence of Zechariah, it came to fruition on his son. Parents, we don't get to choose when that fruit finally comes in. We don't. And it, and it takes faith. And sometimes you have, to, you have to dig your fingernails into the, into the skirts of Jesus and, and just say, Lord, help me. Lord, work in my children's life. But, but the influence of Zechariah, boy, the, the mark of his character really shows in his son. Even though, as far as we know, he didn't get to live to his son's adulthood. The Lord's faithful. He, he says, John, here's your ministry. Your ministry is going to be to point the Savior. Now, this is so wonderful because John's ministry mirrors the ministry of the Holy Spirit. In, notice the Holy Spirit inspires this song and the song points to Jesus. The Holy Spirit loves to point to Jesus. By the way, one of the signs of someone who is truly under the influence of the Holy Spirit is it is all about Jesus. The Holy Spirit loves to draw attention to Jesus. J.I. Packer talks about going one night to St. John's Church where he was uh, one of the assistant pastors to give the Wednesday evening talk and the floodlights were already on on the church uh, because it was dark uh, it, was a, it was a winter afternoon, and the floodlights were just lighting up the church building. And he said, you know what? Those floodlights are a lot like the Holy Spirit. What the Holy Spirit likes to do is shine the light on Christ. Make, make Jesus apparent. Make him clear. Make him great. Make him seeable. And that's exactly what John will do. He'll point to Jesus. When Jesus comes to John and says, I need you to baptize me, you remember John's response? Lord, I need you to baptize me. You do not need me to baptize you. John understood that Jesus was greater than him. In fact, he said, I'm not worthy to unlatch his sandal. By the way, Jesus would later say, there's never been a man born of men greater than than my cousin John. And you see the humility in him and you see the Jesus focus. He wants the attention on Jesus. Don't you want to live a life that way? 
Don't you want to live life that way? And we get to sing about that at Christmas time. So Zacharias points us to the ministry of John, which is a ministry of prophecy to point to Jesus. And then finally, Zacharias brings our attention back to God himself. Look at the language that he uses in verse 78. Why, why did God send John into the world to point to Jesus? Because of the tender mercy of our God. Now this is so important. You know, some people will say, well, the God of the Old Testament is vengeful and wrathful, and the God of the New Testament is love. <laughs> Zacharias says, I want you to see the tender mercy of your God. Long before you went astray in sin and found yourself bound in darkness and nature's night and sin's degradation, in the tender mercy of God, he had planned to send his world, his son into the world to save you from your sins. Jesus isn't getting God to show you tender mercy. He is the expression of the tender mercy of God provided for you. And I, I want to say that if, if you are caught in some sin that you just can't let go of, and you're afraid to repent because you fear the judgment of God, let me just say this. God is more ready to forgive your sins than you are to, for, to repent of them. And the proof of that is the sending of his son into this world. You've all, almost all of you can, can say John 3.16 for me. I could just stand up here and you could repeat John 3.16 to me. But listen to what John 3.16 says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Now pause. We know Jesus loves us. We've sung that since we were in vacation Bible school. Jesus loves me, this I know. But John 3.16 is not about the love of Jesus. Listen to it again. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Who loved? God loved and gave his son. You see, this is what, this is what Zechariah wants us to understand. We have a God of tender mercy and compassion who does not want to destroy sinners. He wants to save us from our sins. And the measure of that is he sent his own son, his only begotten son in the world, that whosoever believes on him will not perish but have everlasting life. That's the kind of God that we worship. We worship a God of tender mercy and compassion who wants to save sinners even at the price of his only son's death. Boy, Zachariah has a lot to, th to thank God for. And we have a lot to thank God for. And as we celebrate in this season of the year the coming of Jesus into this world, the advent of the Messiah, the incarnation of of the Son of God. We too ought to be filled with thanksgiving. Not even for the real blessings that abound in this season. I'm, I'll just confess to you children, when I, was, when I was a little boy, probably the thing that I loved the most about Christmas was presents. 
That's probably the thing that I love the most about Christmas is presents. It's not what I love most about Christmas now. You know, one of the greatest earthly blessings of Christmas is just to be able to be with your family. Um, Neil and I have a, have a dear friend named Nate who's a pastor in another state. And he, I, I saw him this yesterday on his Facebook page. He just put, she's home. What do you mean? His oldest daughter who's been off at college is home. Well, I want to tell you, Neil doesn't care about the presents. He cares about being, Nate doesn't care about the presents. He cares about those children being around him, that family being together. That's a great, great blessing at Christmas. And I, and I must say, as I grow older, that's a great, great blessing to me. My son, God willing, will be married on December the 29th. And, uh, and, and that means that Christmases are not going to be like they were when the kids were growing up. My daughter's married and living in Greenville, South Carolina. My son's getting married and he's in seminary. And my wife and I are going to be looking at one another on Christmas mornings wondering what to do. You know, don't, don't, don't underestimate the blessing of family, young people. Just being able to be with your family and friends. It's one of the great happinesses of life. But there's a greater happiness at Christmas than that. There's a greater happiness is that God loves us and he sent his son for us to meet our deepest need, the forgiveness of sins, to reconcile us to himself. So whether we're by ourselves on Christmas Day or whether we're surrounded by family, we're part of a greater story and a greater family and we have a loving father and we are his children and we'll never be alone eternally. We'll all be with one another and. We better remember that at Christmas. May the Lord bless his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the song. We thank you for this godly man, Zacharias, that you saved and called to yourself. And we pray that you would teach us lessons that would encourage us and help us in the distractions of this sinful world to give to you the glory to your name and to live for your praise and glory. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.